morning, everyone. I'm trying to get myself together this evening. Had a lot of little things to put together. You know, tonight's subject is actually the most important thus far. And I'm happy you are here. I want to tell you from the beginning, I'm going to offend and shock a lot of people. Is that okay? Remember, you said it's okay. You didn't say it's okay, huh? I'm going to offend and shock many people. And what I want you to do, initially when shock comes upon us, either A, we want to hide, B, we want to deny it, or C, we can just wait a little bit. Don't worry about it. We can just wait a little bit. And as we wait and let the Spirit speak to our minds, answers will be provided that before we did not fully understand. So tonight, because of the sensitivity of the subject matter, please know, thank you, please know that you're going to need your Bibles, you need to pen, paper, you can't trust me, amen, you must document what I'm saying, and unlike the good Bereans of the New Testament, you go back and see whether or not what I'm saying is actually true. I know that if this message is not accepted, my friends, salvation is at stake. So I have much to present to you this evening, but before we even get to the screen, I'm going to make sure that we do a Bible study. Here we go. I want to make sure that we do a Bible study. So if you don't mind, let us pray one more time. We're going to pray one more time. Ask God's Spirit to be here with us. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for being our God, for being our friend, for giving us opportunities to choose life and not death. I ask, Father, that as we are about to study the Bible, that you cover us with your blood, that the revelations of Scripture can be clear. And that our thoughts and feelings reflect your own. And we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I'm going to start with a story. And I'm going to start here because I put, I put the board here because I wanted you to see what we're doing. You see it's a nice brand new. It's very nice. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and beginning at verse number 1. It says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare, who, my friends? Cain, and said, I have begotten a man from the Lord. Just so you can have a little background on this, uh, Adam and Eve felt that Cain, the firstborn, was the Messiah that was prophesied to them in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So when he says, I have gotten a man from the Lord, he is, he is in his mind thinking that this is the fulfillment of that promise. But of course, we know the story. Cain was not that one. 
It says in verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel. Do you know what the name Abel means? Worthless. Look it up in the Hebrew. Abel's name means worthless. And she bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought up the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it's almost like it's a crouching tiger ready to attack. It's lying at the door. Correct me if I'm wrong, doctor. (laughs) Yes, you. (laughs) He said he's a Hebrew scholar the other day. So, I was <laughs> And then it goes on to say, watch this. Verse, uh, what is it, 8? And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother. And what does it say the Bible says happened? Now, please, in your mind, I'm already giving you the story of the mark of the beast. This story is the premise for where we begin to get an understanding of the application of the mark of the beast. Notice the issue. Cain brings an offering that God did not ask for. He brings an offering for worship that God did not ask for. Cain brought a thank offering while Abel brought a blood sacrifice offering. Now, what does the blood sacrifice normally symbolize? It's Jesus. It's his blood. It's his covering. It's his righteousness. So the story begins to lay out these two personalities, these two persons, one representing the righteous saints of God, the other representing the wicked and rebellious persons. Watch what else it says. In verse number nine, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And, and he said, I know not. Am I my, what's that say, my friends? Now, I want to ask you a question. And this comes from my heart. This is not something that I practice, right? This is in my heart. I'm reading this right now. It's in my heart. Do you know that everybody in this room, you are brothers and sisters? So if your brother and sister is not present and you are present, you should be concerned where your brother or sister is. Am I right or wrong? Because if, if, if we treat it like if she's not really my sister, if you treat it like, oh, I don't care if they're not here. Oh, they get on my nerves. Oh, I mean, if you treat it like that, tell me, how is that Christianity? You are your brother's keeper. 
If your sister is not here, if your brother is not here, if someone is suffering in silence and you don't know, you don't go investigate, brothers and sisters, you can't claim to be a Christian. I know. It's okay. Notice what else the Bible says. Verse 10. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain, watch what Cain says, and Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me, what's it say? Now, pay attention to Cain's mindset. Cain is in self-preservation mode, okay? He does not want to be killed. So he's actually crying out to God, and you would think that God would be like, hey, that's on you, bruh. Nobody asked you to kill nobody. But God didn't do that. God does something that you must pay attention to, for the devil will seek to duplicate exactly what God did with Cain. Stay with me. It says... Verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a, what's it say, my friends? Interesting. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should, what? Interesting. So here is the first lesson I wanted to make sure you got before we began to go deeper. The idea is that the mark is a mark of protection. Are you following? First time the word mark is used in the Bible, this mark is given by God himself. It's not the mark of the beast, it's the mark of God. And the mark of God placed on Cain protects Cain from being slain or killed. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, stay with me. So we have this mark is equivalent to protection. Now I want to take you to the book of Ezekiel. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 9. And I'm not looking to interpret the chapter. I want to illustrate a point. Ezekiel chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading at verse number 1. Now, this is when God has, has been, let's, let's say, very heartbroken because Israel has broken his law. They have broken their covenant relationship. And God is about to send judgment on Israel. Now, watch what happens in chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. 
And one man among them was clothed with linen with a writer's e-corn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So my friends, as we're reading, in your mind, do you see these six men with the slaughter weapons in their hand? Are they coming to have peace, these, these men with slaughter weapons? No, I ask obvious questions to highlight the obvious. All right? So no, these men with slaughter weapons in their hand are coming toward destruction. They're about to kill somebody. Okay? Stay with me. It goes on to say, verse number three, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn in it by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a, what's it say, my friends? A mark. Interesting. And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, in mine hearing, go ye after through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly, what's it say? Old and what? Young, both what? Maids and what? Little children and women. And come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my, what's it say, my friends? Begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. So the passage is fairly clear. That those who received the mark of God were protected from the men with the slaughter weapons in their hand. Does everybody see that? All right. So we see both in the book of Genesis and in Ezekiel that the mark is a mark of protection. Are you with me? We're, build, we're building something right now. I like studying. Don't you like studying? I like studying. I'm going to show you something else. Go to the book of Revelation now. I want you to go to the Revelation, Revelation chapter 7. Yes. Go to Revelation chapter 7. I want us to read verse 1 and 2. And notice what happens here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the, what's it say, my friends? The seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their, what's it say? So it appears to me that God is not going to send destruction before he marks his people. Does that make sense? And in this Instance, a mark is equivalent to a seal. Why? Because the seal is a seal of protection. Do you see that? Don't hurt the earth. Don't hurt the trees. Don't hurt the sea until I have sealed my servants. Once they're sealed, they're protected. Do you understand that? All right. Very good. You're doing good right now. 
So the seal is a seal of protection. Now, I, I want to take you to someplace else. I'm just trying to see which way would be the most logical way to get there. Let's, let's go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we're going to show another equivalence. In Romans chapter 4, and we're beginning reading at verse number 11. Romans 4 and verse 11. And this is the Apostle Paul writing in reference to Abraham. And it says, And he received the sign of circumcision. What did he receive? A sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. So, let me put this here. In this instance... The writer is equating a seal and a sign. Everybody follow that? The circumcision was a sign. A sign of what? Something that happened on a spiritual space. The sign was an outward observance of something that's now transpiring in spiritual sense. It's a seal of righteousness. Now, it's, it's a good thing that we can look at each other. And right now, I can look here and everybody looks, you all look holy tonight. Huh? But it doesn't mean you are. Right? So outwardly, I won't be able to tell that. But righteousness starts with the Holy Spirit where? Ah. So stay with me. So a mark is a mark of protection. A seal is a seal of protection. A seal and a sign are equivalent. The sign is outward. The seal is, come on now. That's new stuff. That just came tonight. Hmm? That came right here while I'm standing. So my mind says, that's interesting. The outward sign was circumcision. Circumcision. The inward sign was righteousness. But God told him to do the outward sign as evidence of the inward. Are you with me, my friends? Okay. So now, let's take this a tad, let's take this a tad bit further. Let's take this a tad bit further. I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus I want to show you Exodus chapter 31, and we're looking at verse number 17. And you are going to be able to do this, under, you're going to make an understanding and let the scripture speak for itself. So in Exodus 31, verse 17, the Bible says, I, let's start at verse 16. Oh. Verse 16 says, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout your generations for a perpetual, what's it say, my friends? Covenant. Covenant. It is a, what's it say? It is a sign between me and the children of Israel for how long, my friends? Forever. 
forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So the Sabbath is now a sign. It's an outward symbol. Are you with me so far? Let's go a little bit further. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verse number 12. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a, what's it say? A sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that does what? Now, sanctification happens from the inside. The Sabbath is an outward sign of an inward cleaning. The Sabbath is an outward sign of an inward rest. Are you paying attention tonight? Let's go a little bit further. Same chapter. I want you to look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And hollow my Sabbath, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Don't you like that? You know, when I was dating my, my bride, and before I dated her, you know, we talked on the phone. First time I talked to her, it was an hour and 14 minutes, to be exact. I talked probably 15, 20, and she took the rest of the time. And then we skip a day, and it was an hour and about 29, hour and 30 minutes. Then skip a day, it was an hour and 44 minutes. Skip a day, hour and 44 minutes. We talked six times, each time stopping about an hour and 45 minutes. Then I say, you know what? I like this woman. Haven't seen her before. That's not okay. I need to go see her. So I went on a journey to meet her. And, one, and I remember the, now watch this. I remember the day I proposed. Anybody remember, anybody ever proposed in here? You remember, you remember my story? How, how do you know my story? I told you, Okay. But I remember when I proposed, and she said yes. And I remember the, the day of the wedding. Do you, guys, do you know the most beautiful day on planet Earth was May 7th? Huh? Yeah, May 7th, 2006. Let her know I remembered. Amen. <laughs> May 7th, 2006, I remember standing on this side, and the door opened. And my... My, my best man was up here, and uh, the door opened, and it was like a bright light, just, oh. <laughs> My wife starts coming down, and I'm just weeping. Just weeping. I'm a big baby, man. I'm just crying and weeping. And I'm weeping because in my mind, she's mine. No, 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 I claim that, that by faith, brother. She wasn't running nowhere. She wasn't going nowhere. 
she starts coming down. I'm crying. And I remember the, the minister. I can't re- hear everything that he was saying because I wasn't really focused on him. But when he got, when he got to the part where he was, he was like, do you, uh, Andre, take Alpha to be your lawfully wedded wife? In that moment, it wasn't just the people in the room that I was saying I do before. I was saying I do before the God of the universe. That's what I was saying I do to. And you know, in that sense, it was a beautiful day. We had that beautiful experience. That union between my wife and I is the great symbol between God's union with us. And in, in our society today, we like, we like to put a ring on it. I'm not saying that that's what we should do, but we like to put a ring on it. But why do we do that? Because we're saying, this is mine. In the same sense, Jesus says, the Sabbath is a sign that I am yours and you are. Are you with me, my friends? Somebody's going to say they're going to look at the Sabbath. That's legalism. No, legalism is one's attempt to save himself by his works. Oh, but my father in heaven says the Sabbath, please come spend time with me. I'm going to say, yes, sir. 24 hours of sacred time with Jesus. I don't think that's legalism. I think that's love. What do you say? Amen. But let's go a little bit further. I want you now, we've, we've come to this idea. The mark is a mark of protection. The seal, also used in the same way, is a seal of protection. We saw that a sign and a seal actually go together. The sign is outward. The seal is inward. It's a seal of righteousness. Now, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to go to verse number 13. I believe that is correct. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13. Watch what the Bible says. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were, what's it say, my friends? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit is that, that one that works inside of you to live righteously, holy, and pure. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Look at what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. The Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So how do you grieve the Spirit? What, what do you have to do in order to grieve the Spirit? What does it mean to grieve? Yeah, to grieve, it means he's crying, Right? You're, you're, if you grieve somebody, if he comes to you and says, this way, please go this way, and you're like, no, get out my face. My mom went to church this way, and my dad went to this, did this this way, and we ate this way all our lives. And the Spirit says, no, please, come this way. As the Spirit beckons, and you refuse what the Spirit beckons, because the Bible says the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. As you refuse truth, the Spirit is grieved. There's actually a, 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 an emotional response from the Most High. He's, he's wounded. He cries. Grieve not the Spirit. Wound him not. Why? Because he cares. 
He's going to guide you into how much truth, my friends? All truth. All truth. And tonight, we're not quite there yet, but I'm showing you right now that this sign seal is connected, especially with the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to show you something else. I'm, I'm going to take the, can you take the board down? Thank you, brother. Now, tonight is such a unique presentation, I can skip around. I want to show you this. I can find it. Yeah. Be here in a moment. There it is. I want you for a moment to go with me to the book of Genesis. Let's say Genesis, Exodus. I want you to go to the Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do, what's it say, my friends? Any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the, what's it say? The seventh day, wherefore the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, there is a text here, and hold your finger in Exodus. There's a text in Isaiah 8, verse 16 that says, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. So what is sealed amongst the disciples? The law of God. And that law, by the Holy Spirit, is written on the hearts of all God's true believers. So let's look at this. This seal, the seal of God, has three parts. Do you guys remember what the three parts were based on the other screen? The three parts were, oops, oops, I'm not going back. A seal has to have his what? His name and his what? Title and what else? So let's see if the fourth commandment contains these three key elements. So, and this is the, the, uh, the seal of the queen. Let's see. Her name is on there, right? What's her name? All right. What's her title? What's her territory? Canada, British Columbia. You, you guys see that there? That is her seal for her nation. God has a seal. What's his name? The Lord God. What's his title? The creator. What does he own? Do you guys see it, my friends? This is the only commandment that has all three components of the seal. The other ones don't. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those don't have it. But this one is important because now it tells you who has the authority to give you this instruction. Are you following the idea? So it's God himself. It is, it is the creator himself. And if we were here for another study, you would have seen that Jesus himself is the creator. But let's go a little bit further. So those are the three components of the seal. So what is the mark? But before we get to the mark, before we get there, are there any questions about the seal? I'm not going to go any further. 
I want to pause for a moment. Does anybody have a question of, about the seal of God? The seal of God is the Sabbath, and the Holy Spirit is the one that does the sealing. Any questions about that? And it's okay. If you have a question, I'm, I'm, I'm open. The Holy Spirit is the one that writes God's law in our hearts. All right? All right? So the Bible says, seal the law amongst my disciples. Are there any questions in regards to the Sabbath as the seal of God? Any questions? All right. So you're still questioning about the mark of the beast. Yes. Don't, wait, be, I just want you to ask a question. The fruit of the Spirit, my brother. Obedience to what God says to do. Right? Not by our actions, by the fruit of the Spirit, and them being obedient to what God says to do. Because someone can act like a Christian and not be one. Right? They can put on a show and not be one. Remember the Bible says, and watch, and let me, let me just put this out there. So, this is why the mark of the beast is going to be presented. There's going to be a test. The Bible, Jesus says the wheat and tares must grow how? The wheat and tares must grow together. And that's, this is so important because when you're in church, I can walk over to this brother. This brother gets on my nerves every day, right? He gets on my nerve. And then I say he's a tear. Why? Because he gets on my nerves. Well, no, he's not a, you don't know if he's a tear or not yet. You don't know what God is doing in this man's heart. You don't know how the Spirit of God is moving in people's hearts. So you can't walk to somebody like, he's a tear. Some of us be like, he's a Jesuit. Huh? We have to be careful because we don't know what's going on. Right? Be careful. All right? Any other question? No other question? You guys are okay? Did I scare you with that answer? All right. Very good. Now we can move on. Are you guys ready to study? Okay. Here we go. Now I want you to go to open your Bibles now. And I put them on the screen. There's the promise of the beast and the promise of the lamb. The beast promises you protection. The beast says... And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be, what's it say? Killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the, what's it say? Mark or the what? Name of the beast or the what? So this beast's power is offering a mark. And the mark it is designed to protect. Are you following? He's offering protection. Then it says in Revelation chapter 14 verse 9, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine and the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone 
in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So let me ask you a question. Anybody in here want the mark of the beast? Can I see your hand? You don't want the mark of the beast. Nobody wants the mark of the beast. All right. Why not? Try what? You don't want the wrath of God, right? You don't want to be lost, right? So this is, the, this is the option that's being put out there. Accept the mark, and, and, and it's a promise. We'll protect you. You'll be able to buy. You'll be able to sell. You'll be able to do trades. You'll be able to do everything you want to do if you accept the mark. We'll protect you. God's like, look, you take that mark, you're in trouble. The question is, do you believe God or do you believe man? Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, let's get ready to go. So we're going to review right now. Some of you missed the night when we did the Antichrist. So we're going to review the Antichrist's power right now. This is a lion. Daniel 7 talks about a lion, comes up out of the water there. The lion has two wings. We identify this lion as Babylon. Babylon ruled from 605 to 538 B.C. or 539 B.C. And we equivalated or made the equivalence between the head of gold and the lion. They're the same thing. Daniel 7, Daniel 2, same thing, okay? We went over that during the rise of the Antichrist. This one is a bear, has three ribs in his mouth. This bear, that's interesting. You see that target on the screen? That's not from my computer, that target, just so you know. You know, my man looks like he's about to get shot. (laughs) So this bear has three ribs in his mouth. This kingdom and this bear rises up on one side. So it's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians ruled from 539 to 331 B.C. So what we see is a kingdom, one kingdom after the other, marching its way down in prophetic history. And again, chest and arms of silver in Daniel 2, and a bear with three ribs in his mouth in Daniel 7. And then we have this leopard, has four heads. With four wings, it has a body that's like a leopard. Please pay attention to everything I just said. And then we have this kingdom being Greece. Greece rules from 331 to 168 BC. Dominant power. Moved rapidly with the young Alexander the Great and afterwards his four generals who succeeded him later on thereafter. And after that, we have this dreadful and terrible beast. Don't let let anyone teach you that it's a nondescript beast. It has a description. Dreadful and terrible. Okay? It has ten horns. And this is a symbol of the kingdom of pagan Rome. We went through this. Pagan Rome has this fourth beast. And now, make sure you write on your paper that a beast in Bible prophecy equals a kingdom. And you'll see there in Daniel 7.23 that reality. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. So Rome rules from 168 B.C. to 476. We're talking about pagan Rome and its power. 
And then pagan Rome began to go through a metamorphosis. You know what we use that word for? When we talk about caterpillars turning to butterflies, at some point, as the caterpillar is transitioning, goes into the cocoon state. So there is a cocoon state of pagan Rome as it's transitioning to a spiritual power. Watch carefully. So it rules. Now, notice, well, I don't know if I put that in there on purpose. No, let's pass that. So here are the ten horns or the ten kingdoms that were in that day. And I'll show you again on the next screen. Each one has a more modern name. So the Alemanni were, are the Germans today. The Burgundians were the Swiss of that day, or of today. The Franks were the French. The Lombards were the Italians. The Saxons were the English, or are the English. The Suevi are the Portuguese. The Visigoths are the Spanish. And then these three horns that were plucked up by the roots are the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals. Plucked up. Now, these three are, that are plucked up, they were plucked up because they did not agree with a particular religion that was coming up in that day. And I actually have all the historical document if you have a question at another time. But these are the three that were plucked up by this little horn, as you see, peeking his head from there. So who is this power? Now, my friends, we went over this already. This is a repeat. And those of you here for the first time tonight, it's okay. What I, what I told you from the beginning, I'm going to hurt your feelings today, and I'm doing it with a smile, okay? So if you have a question, just come talk to me after. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just reading from the Bible and comparing it with history. Is that okay, everybody? Can you see that I don't bite? I mean, I do bite food, but I don't bite humans, okay? So feel free to ask me questions. I'm, I'm open to that. So this little horn power is the Antichrist power, and this power in Revelation chapter 13 is the Antichrist power. They both have the same characteristics, and I will show you what those characteristics are in a few minutes. So Daniel wanted to know the truth. He wanted to know the truth of the fourth beast. So here it is. We know that the fourth beast comes up among the ten horns, okay? We know that this power, this horn, comes up among those ten nations that I put on the screen earlier. Remember that? You see those ten nations? So we know, based on prophecy, somewhere along the way, there's a power that's going to rise up out of that area. Another point. It comes up after 476. How do we know that? Because pagan Rome goes off the scene in 476. Those tribes came in and essentially sacked Rome. You guys know about your history, right? It sacks Rome, and Rome is sacked in 476. It, it had been burned down a couple of times, but this time was, it was the ultimate time. So I'm going to pass that for a moment. This power would rule for, for um, 1,260 years, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you see this here? This is a, a book called The History of the Christian Church, Volume 3, page 327. It says, Vigilius ascended the papal chair in 538 under the military protection of Belisarius. Now, why is that important? Because this, this um, particular pope, as he ascends to the papal chair, he ascends there with the permission of the state power. So the state empowers the church 
to now have rulership, and it gave him the ability to say, if you don't believe what I believe, I will take your property from you. That had never had that type of influence before. So this was an interesting time. Let's go a little further. We know that it is a little kingdom. Now, again, I'm revealing who this Antichrist power is. The Vatican is located on 109 acres. 109 acres. It's a little kingdom, but my friends, it has a seat in the United Nations. Please tell me any other church in the world that has a seat in the United Nations. There is none. It has global influence and global power. Notice what else. The Vatican City is the smallest independent country in the world. Notice it's called a country, it's not just a church. It is the smallest independent country in the world. The Vatican City covers 109 acres. It is about as large as the average city park. Vatican City lies entirely within the city of Rome, Italy. It has been, indep- it has been an independent country since 1929. Okay? Vatican City issues its own postage stamps, coins, and license plates. The Pope's yellow and white banner is the official state flag of Vatican City. Now notice this statement. The Pope, as absolute ruler of Vatican City, heads what, my friends? All government branches within the Vatican City. Well, that's interesting, okay? So it's not just a church. It functions as a state power on 109 acres. Some of you guys probably have 109 acres yourself. Huh? Vatican City exercises spiritual sway over millions, yay, it should actually say billions, of Roman Catholics. Now, it uprose three by the roots. Now, historically speaking, the three that were uprooted, literally, I have all the historical documents if you'd like to see, each one of these Heroli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths were ripped up, organized by the papacy to remove them because they were hindering the advancement of that particular religion, okay? Just as the Bible said, it transpired. Notice this. The authenticity of this biblical historical facts are attested by reputable contemporary historians. Robert Browning, in his recent book, Justinian and Theodora, speaks in great detail of how the Hurali, Vandals, and the Ostrogoths were uprooted by the church's effort to establish authority. He describes the conquest of the Heruli and their king, Odiacer, and then goes on to give an account of Justinian's final battle with the Vandals in 534. After describing this battle, he states, the Vandal force no longer existed. Indeed, the Vandals as a people vanished from the face of the earth. Browning then describes the retaking of Rome from the Ostrogoths in the spring of AD 538 and states that shortly thereafter, the Ostrogoth kingdom had ceased to exist. So every one of these that that the papacy attacked, they were eliminated. Their race, they don't even know where they are, okay? But this is an example of the fulfillment of prophecy. So it has a human leader. You know these guys. 
Look, I don't know them personally, so I have nothing personally against them, okay? Does that make sense, everybody? I have no personal anything with these persons. But there are some things that we're going to talk about that you're going to understand in a moment why this is such a very hard topic for me to talk about anyway. It says, out of the ruins of the Roman Empire, there gradually rose a new order of states whose central point was the papacy. So out of Rome, out of that beast power, a little horn comes up out of the ruins of the pagan Roman Empire. Therefore, inevitably resulted a position not only new, but very different from the former. Okay? Not only new, but different. Why is it different? Because it's a spiritual power. Pagan Rome is simply pagan. That's all it is. It's pagan. That practice paganism. But now, papal Rome is not only a state power, but a religious power. Notice where it's found right there in Western Europe, right there in Italy, among the ten horns, among those ten kingdoms. Now let's talk about this idea of blasphemy for a moment. What is blasphemy? According to John, here it is. Go to the book of John. John chapter 10, and maybe I have it on the screen. John chapter 10, and let's look at verse number 30. John chapter 10, and verse 30. John 10 and verse 30, the Bible says, I and my father are, what's it say? One. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from, the father, from my father, for which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. What is the blasphemy? And because thou being a man, makest thyself what? That's blasphemy. A man that claims to be God is blasphemy. And, but the thing is, Jesus wasn't doing blasphemy because he was God. Okay? Now notice this. Please look at the screen. Look what it says. We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. Now that's, that's blasphemy, my friends. And this is from Pope Leo XIII. We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, but he is Jesus Christ himself hidden under the veil of flesh. You guys see that? This is from their writings. I'm not making this up, and I'm not trying to be a hater of any person. But this is what they say. So now I'm saying, well, if this is what they say and this is what the Bible says, well, I can't, I can't roll with that. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, He as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, I think I know what the next picture is going to be. Yes. You see this man? He's sitting on a throne. What is he sitting between? Sitting between two cherubims. Now, why is that important? Go with me to Psalms 80 and verse 1. Psalms 80 and verse 1. Psalms 80 and verse 1. 
The Bible says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the, what's it say? Between the cherubim. So God himself is the one that dwells between the cherubim, but here this man is sitting as if he's God. Are you guys seeing that, my friends? This becomes a problem. This is a problem. And all those other verses that I put there, 2 Kings 19.15, Isaiah 37.15, say the same thing, that God is between the cherubims. Okay? Man does not have that right to do that. Crossing the threshold of hope, page 3, Pope John Paul II said, Confronted with the Pope, one must make a choice. The leader of the Catholic Church is defined by the faith as the vicar of Jesus Christ and is accepted as such by believers. The Pope is considered the man on earth who represents the Son of God, who takes the place of the second person of the omnipotent God of the Trinity. You guys see that? If you were taking a picture, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay? Now, the next thing I'm going to show you, and actually, let me just put it up here. This is from the Catholic priest, page 78. This is from one of their books. Seek where you will through heaven and earth, and you will find one created being who can forgive the sinner, who can free him from the chains of hell. That extraordinary being is the priest, the Roman Catholic priest. Is, is that right? Oh, that's not right, brothers and sisters. There's not a human being on planet earth that can forgive your sins. There's not a human being on planet earth that can forgive your sins. Why is this bad, my friends? Because if I go to a priest and I confess my sins to a priest, I still have my sin. Only Jesus, the Lamb of God, he's the one that bears my sin, so I must go to him. My righteousness is not of my own. It is his. So I don't go through a man. I don't go through a woman. I don't come to confessional with pastor and say, pastor, today I, my brain went a little crazy. And I please, you know, like that's not that's not what we do. I go on my knees. I have direct access to the most high through Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I get to talk to the father for myself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, there are many that believe things like this. And this is why many walk enslavement to their sin. This is why, but notice what this says, Dignities, Dignity and Duties of the Priest, volume 12, page 2. God himself is obliged to abide by the judgment of his priest and either not to pardon or to pardon according as they refuse or give abolition. The sentence of the priest precedes and God subscribes to it. You guys see that? Now, listen, there are, I'm, I'm going to back up real quick, and I'm going to say this. There are many that go to the Catholic Church and wonderful people. I, 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 in fact, one of the companies that I have worked for, beautiful organization, one of the most organized companies in the world. One of my best buddies is a Roman Catholic, okay? So I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about an organized system. And it's, it's robbing people of having a true, rich experience with the Most High. 
and it's and it, and and, it, and because it's robbing people, it actually it hurts my heart to know. I told you the other day I was sitting on a plane with a with a with a Jesuit priest, very kind man. And I'm sitting on a plane with the man, and we're traveling along the way. I didn't tell you the whole story. We're traveling on the way, and I did tell you. I asked him about purgatory because I said, "Where's purgatory in the Bible?" Like I can't, I I don't know where it's in the Bible. Can you share it? Oh well, it's not really in the Bible. I said, "Oh okay, so why do you believe it?" Well, it's, a, it's tradition. Oh, I said tradition. Listen, I don't want to go to heaven or hell based on somebody's tradition. I'm not going to any man's church to be saved. You understand what I'm saying? I need to know what does the Bible say. Teach me from here. There are too many lies going on, brothers and sisters. You turn your TV on, lies coming from every side. I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be tricked. I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to, you know, there's a, there's a, a communist man. I don't know if it was Stalin. I can't remember which one it was. One of, those, one of those guys. He says, religion is the opiate of the people. And to a great, this, to a great degree, that is a true statement. People, people don't want to think. They want to be led. So if the preacher says it, it must be true. Don't be, that's why I tell you, don't believe nothing I say. You ain't got to believe me. Go back and study. Is it there? If it's there, accept it. If it's not there, leave it alone. You ain't got to follow. I don't have any heaven to give you. I don't have any hell to give you. I have the word of God, and the word of God is that which provides that truth and that light. Does that make sense, everybody? So I'm not attacking a person. I'm looking at a system, and all of us at some level have been tricked by somebody. And honestly, we've been living a life. And God says in the time of ignorance, God does what? He winks at our ignorance. But now that light has come, he calls all men to repent. That's what he says. So what do we do? Watch this. I love this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who is that man? The man Christ Jesus. Amen? There's one man. No human, no regular human. Jesus is a human. <laughs> He's God, though, at the same time. Notice this power will persecute and prosecute God's people. The British historian William Edward Lickey wrote, that the Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind will be questioned by no Protestant historian who has a competent knowledge of history. The History of the Rise of the Spirit of Rationalism in Europe, volume 2, page 32. So martyrs died, brothers and sisters. I, I told you about the Waldensians having the Bible sewn into their coats. People died at the stake for this book, the book that is so precious that we don't read, that we take casually. People died for this. And this power also thinks to change God's law. Well, how did he do that? Well, here's a bunch of stuff that was done. The introduction of tra tradition, purgatory, mass, baby baptism. There's a form of priesthood that we don't believe in the immortality of the soul, Sunday worship, and then, in, and then the Reformation came and all those things were put in their proper place going forward. But my friends, this was a counterfeit going down, down, down into darkness where men did not have access to the sanctuary above because they lacked faith. They lacked faith. 
So we went through this. So what is the mark? Is the mark a barcode? Well, you're saying no. Is the beast a big computer in Europe? Hmm? I mean, those are, people have these concerns. They're, they'll be in line, and they'll get their groceries, and the bill will come up $666. Be like, yeah, throw in another stick of gum. <laughs> huh? Because nobody likes that number. Everybody's really afraid. So we need to know the truth. Is it a barcode? Is it a biochip? Is it your social? I had one person tell me, you know you already have the mark of the beast. You have a social security number. I'm like, bruh, no. No, not, not quite. <laughs> not quite. So what do they say? This is what they say. This is a converse catechism. Question and answer. Which is the Sabbath day? Answer. Saturday is the what? Now, this is coming out of the Catholic catechism. Saturday is the Sabbath day. Okay. it's a good answer. So why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer. Because the Catholic Church transferred solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Hmm? I'm going to tell you something about this. I'm, and I'm going to pause for a moment and just explain a little bit of history. You see, when, the, when, Christ, when Jesus Christ died... The Jews as a nation began to become a hated group. The Romans began to hate the Jews on a, on a high level, all right? And the Christians are, were Jewish to start. I mean, most of them were Jews to begin with. And so what happened was as the Christian church is being persecuted and the Jewish people are being persecuted because Jews were really acting up. They were out, it's like Rome constantly came to spank them and they were just bad children. So the Christians wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jews, and in order to distinguish themselves from the Jews, they would have Sabbath service and they would have Sunday service. They would have both. And Sabbath, they would make a more strict day and Sunday would be a more happy day. And then finally, at some point, they just say, you know what? No more Saturdays. We're going to do Sunday. Now, I'm going to show and I'm going to show you historically how it happened, my friends. It is not something we remember now. Jesus, when he died, expected the, his Christian church to keep the Sabbath Years after. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, Jesus said, pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day when he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So pray that it doesn't happen on that day. Jesus died in AD 31. The destruction of Jerusalem happened in AD 70. So at least those years after his death, he said, I expect my people to be keeping the Sabbath. So pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath. Right? So that was Jesus' mind. So he expected them to be keeping the Sabbath all those years later. So Jesus kept the Sabbath. If Jesus kept the Sabbath, I think I would keep the Sabbath. What do you say? Huh? I don't, don't want to follow man. I just want to follow what God says. I just want to follow what God says. So here's the question. This is from Edward Gibbons' Faith of Our Fathers, page 7273. It says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Sunday, this is from the Catholic press, Sunday is a Catholic institution and it claims to observance can be defended only on Catholic principles. Do you guys see that? 
This is their claim. They're making that statement. So someone says, Brother Wallen, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. This is why we keep Sunday holy. Now, let me tell you something. I commend you for wanting to honor our Lord. Yeah? I think we should worship God. If the church was open every day, we should be there every day. What do you say? I wish the church was open every day. Uh, it, would, it would be great if the church was open every day. We were praying and studying together, breaking the word open together. That would be great. However, if I told you that there was a, a million dollars on Saturday, you wouldn't be confused what day to show up. Am I right or wrong? If I say on Saturday, I will have a million dollars here for you, and you show up on the first day of the week, you're going to miss that million dollars. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> so in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God blessed, sanctified, and what else? Hallowed the seventh day, and he put himself in that day. So if he put his presence in that day, he didn't move it to another day. It's on that day. There's a special blessing for that day. And if you observe that day, he says, I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. There is that fellowship that God wants to have with his people as they honor him and worship him within that sanctuary of time. Are you following what I'm saying, my friends? All right. Let's go a little further. Also, just in case somebody says, but the seventh day, isn't the seventh day Sunday? Well, first of all, Anybody here believe the seventh day is Sunday? No, you sure? Just in case there's someone here that, doesn't, that believes that the seventh day is actually Sunday, because there are some calendars that start for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? So let's just do a little bit of exercise right now, if you don't mind. Go with me to the book of Luke. Go with me to the book of Luke. And I want you to look at verse number, or chapter 23, sorry, I'm going to give you a verse before I give you a chapter. And I want us to start at verse 54, Luke 23 and verse 54. And when you have it, just say amen. All right, we got three. Luke chapter 23, and we're looking at verse 54. And notice what the Bible says. And the day was the preparation day, and the Sabbath drew on. So we know that there's something called the preparation day, and then the Sabbath is coming, okay? And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day, According to what, my friends? All right. So there's the preparation day, and then the resting on the Sabbath day, according to the commandments. Now watch what it says next. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Question. We have the preparation day, we have the Sabbath day, and then we have the first day. Everybody see that? 
So the first day, everybody knows the first day is when Jesus rose from the dead, yes? So there is no confusion as to what day the Bible calls the Sabbath and what day is the first day of the week. Are you with me, my friends? Do you still appreciate me as a person? Just want to make sure. Let's go a little further. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, there is not a single passage that warrants the transfer of a weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. Another quotation, reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these alternatives, either Protestantism and the keeping of, I mean, and the keeping holy of Saturday or Catholicity and the keeping holy of Sunday. Compromise is, what's it say, my friends? That's interesting. What a bold statement to make. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any directions noted in the scriptures. This is from the St. Catherine Catholic Church Sentinel, right? Not any command from the scriptures, but from the church's sense of his own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. That is what they said. Either you are a believer in the word or you're going to follow traditions of men. Notice another Sunday is our mark. Sunday is our what, my friends? Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Now, listen, listen to me. This is not uh, secret information. Like, if you were to go and visit with any Catholic priest and you were to ask him, you know, why do we keep Sunday holy? He's going to tell you. If he's honest, he's going to tell you. We keep Sunday holy because Jesus rose from the dead, and we change the day. They're not going to go to the Bible and say Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. They're not going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15. They're not going to go to Acts chapter 17, verse 2, Acts chapter 18, verse 4. They're not going to go to Mark chapter 2, verse 27. They're not going to go to Luke 4, verse 16. They're not going to go to any of those passages. They're not going to go to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 to 23. They're not going to go to Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14. All those passages talk in regards to the Sabbath and how the Sabbath will be kept in heaven and how the Sabbath is a sign of a union between God and man and how the Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. All those verses talk about that because we are Bible believers. Bible believers. This is God's message. So what does the dictionary say? You know what? Sometimes I'm like, sometimes I just put this up here, but it really doesn't matter what the dictionary says. (laughs) Huh? We just read it from the Bible. But let's just put it up there for the dictionary. Here's the dictionary. Sunday, so-called, because this day was anciently dedicated to the sun. Who was it dedicated to, my friends? Or to its worship, the first day of the week. Very clear. It's funny. Have you, uh, my wife just got this thing in the house called, um, you can talk to it. Alexa. So we have Alexa in the house now. I told her to get that spy out of our house. 
<laughs> what that spy in my house? So I went in there to play with Alexa. Alexa seems to have some type of form of intelligence. So I say, Alexa, what day is the Sabbath? Do you know what Alexa told me? Alexa told me it's the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Even Alexa knows what day is the Sabbath. <laughs> Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshiped the what? But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 9. So man takes his little chisel, seeks to change God's law. But my friends, God wrote it with his own finger. What did he say? Can't change God's law. Who is encouraged? What is encouraged to be done now? Oh, I don't know if I should show this to you. We have a few minutes. This is Pope John Paul II wrote this, and I have something I want to share with you on Thursday that you don't want to miss. He wrote, the celebration of the Christian Sunday remains on the threshold of the third millennium, an indispensable element of our Christian identity. Well, that's interesting. Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation respects their duty to keep Sunday holy. What did he just say in English? He said Christians should seek to pass a law to keep it holy. Y'all not paying attention. You paying attention? When through the centuries she has made laws concerning Sunday rest, the church has had in mind above all the work of servants and workers. Certainly not because this work was in any less worthy when compared to the spiritual requirements of Sunday observance, but, be, but rather because it needed greater regulation to lighten its burden and thus enable everyone to keep the Lord's day holy. In this matter, many predecessors, Pope Leo XIII in his encyclical Rerum Navorum spoke of Sunday rest as a worker's right which the state must guarantee. Therefore, also in the particular circumstances of our own time, Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation respects their duty to keep Sunday holy. What, I, what I'm moving into now, my friends, is not whether or not Sunday and Sabbath are which one is which. Now I'm moving into the part where the, the beast power is saying, I'm going to help legislate law that everyone now must go to respect this day. Are you following what I, what's happening now? Let's go a little further. I find this, this, this gentleman was quite interesting. He's, he has to be, uh, I won't say that. So anyway, the best way to honor Pope John Paul II, truly one of the great men, in to, is to take his teaching seriously, is to listen to his words and to put his words and teachings into action here in America. This is a challenge we must accept. Now on Thursday, you're, you definitely don't want to miss Thursday. This is just part one. On Thursday, I'm going to show you Trump's America 
I'm going to have video clip after video clip after video clip. Bible, 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 video clip, video clip. You're going to see, brothers and sisters, we don't have much time. And when I say we don't have much time, I'm not saying in the sense that we don't have much time, like Jesus is about to come through the clouds. I'm saying we don't have much time to be tested. We're going to be tested. Everyone that says they're a Christian is not a Christian. Everyone that says they love God don't really love God. And God is going to test us. It's, it's coming, my friends. Notice this. Oh, let me just, I, didn't, I don't have the sound connected, so we're just going to do this. I just want you, to, I want you to hear one of my favorite clips. Wait, maybe. It's not going to work. Nope. It's not going to work. It's okay. Yeah. It's not going to work. Never mind. I'll show it to you on, on Thursday. He says something very interesting. Um, at this funeral, there was a funeral for the Pope when he died. All the heads of state were there. That never happens for anybody else. All the leaders of the world are coming to visit this man upon his death. Doesn't happen for everybody else. This is a global power, my friends. Yeah, I like this little cartoon. It says, I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi 3.6. Creator of heaven and earth, God made seventh day Sabbath. Then someone points over there. If God made the Sabbath monument, who made that one? Some man did that. Notice this. Auto dealers seek Sunday closure as cost-cutting measure. Notice this article. Why isn't Sunday special anymore? Notice this one. This is from uh, news, I think it's Time, not Time Magazine. It says, and on the seventh day he rested. But notice how it counts it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You see the Sabbath is hidden back there. And then it has Sunday big there. You see that? Y'all not here. You hear what I'm saying? There is an intentional propaganda process beginning in the minds of the people. You see this? This is a picture of the European Union mobilization for the protection of Sunday in Europe, on the European level. It's happening, brothers and sisters, right now. You see this? Mums, you can tell this is from England, you know what I'm saying? Mum and dad belong to us on Sunday. A petition for the keeping of Sunday, shut the stores down so we can be with our families. Listen to me, friends. The Bible, do you, I'm not the first one to preach what I'm telling you. This has been, been preached for almost, over 100 something years now. I'm not the first one. So this has been prophesied about. And for me to actually put up here people actually doing this, like a campaign for it, you got, I, I wish I could make this stuff up. I wish, to, at a certain level, my friends, I wish it wasn't true. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying to you, we're going to be tested. Let me see. Oh, this is another one. I, I won't do this one right now. There's a lot to read there. Pope demands, what, is, what does he demand? Respect for Sundays. And I don't have, oh yes, yes, yes. This one works. I want to, I want to know here this. Listen to this. Uh-oh.
So it's coming from there. All right. So I wanted you to observe. The first lady said, the, fir the first lady said, you know, it wouldn't be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if the government sent us a message? What do you mean the government sent you a message? So she's saying it would be good if they passed a law so that we can all take the day off and be with our families. Now, ostensibly, doesn't that sound good? On the that sounds good to me. I want to take a day off. But the idea is, it's already been prophesied that this is going to transpire, and they're going to choose the wrong day. And when they choose that day, remember, it's an outward sign of an inward corruption. It's an outward sign. So I accept the Sabbath. It's an outward sign of an inward change. I accept Jesus Christ. I'm resting in him. I'm showing my loyalty to my creator. If I accept this day, I'm showing it's a man-made thing. So now what's going to happen? I'm bringing my own offering. So what do people want to do? They want to come in. Didn't Cain bring an offering to worship God? To praise God? And people come to church and they praise God. And God accepts the worship in their ignorance. It's okay. We praise God every day. It's just that the seventh day is his. And that's where we want to honor him. You, you follow the idea. We want to honor him. And listen to me, my friend. I'm telling you right now, believe it or not, this message is very hard for me to present. I'm, I'm, you can see I'm trying to be delicate, right? I'm not here. Hiya! I don't want to do that. I'm, here's the information. Take it. Read it. Make a decision. But I'm showing you that it's being fulfilled in reality. I don't even want to deal her with her tonight. She's, she, is a, uh, she is a Jew, but she's a non-practicing Jew. And she literally says, and I'll just quote her for now, she literally says, it would be great if the government gave us all the same day off. And they asked, well, what day do you mean? And he was, she was actually on Stephen Colbert. You guys know who Stephen Colbert is. So Colbert, he was on Colbert's show, and he's, Colbert's like, I... He says, I Sabbath on Sunday, and you Sabbath on Saturday. Our Sabbaths don't agree. He says, which Sabbath should we do? She said, the Jew, we should Sunday, Saturday should be the day. Yeah, su Sunday Sabbath. Yeah, Sunday Sabbath should be the day. So she being a Jew gave up her seventh-day Sabbath and saying the, the state should legislate that day off. So there's another. I, let me see. Maybe I have. No, I don't have it in here. Let me pass this. Pass this. No, 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 no. Yes, here. Whew. Are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? Everybody's all right? I'm going to just look in your eyes. 
Just want to make sure everybody's okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm really just want to make sure everybody's all right. There's a lot of information. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he is able to modify, declare, and interpret even divine laws. So notice this. The second commandment. What is the second commandment? The second commandment is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We're going to go over about ten more minutes at the best. He shall think to change, what to say? Times and, times and laws. The Pope has power to change, to abrogate laws, to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. All right? Of course the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. So we already talked about the time that it was papal dominance, 1,260 years. We know that General Berthier came and took the Pope captive. And in that time frame, the reason why this is significant, because there was a separation of church, church and state. Let me tell you a true story. Whenever there's a union of church and state, persecution comes soon after. Whenever there's a union of church and state, persecution is not far after that union. And right now, and, I, and you have to come Thursday. You have to come Thursday. I'm going to show you something on Thursday. We're going to pass this. We're going to pass this for tonight. Uh, yes, here. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 2, And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon, we know it's the devil and Satan, but working through a civil power. So a civil power gives him power, seat, and great authority. From the Baica Professor of History, University of Rome, to the succession of the Caesars came the succession of the pontiffs in Rome. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his seat to the pontiff. You guys see that? F directly fulfilling Revelation chapter 13. The popes filled the place of the vacant emperors of Rome, inheriting their prestige and titles from paganism. Constantine left all to the Bishop of Rome. The papacy is but the ghost of the deceased Roman Empire, sitting crown upon its grave. Again, there's a beast, and the horn comes up out of that beast's power. All right, so you'll notice I told you that that little horn and the leopard-like beast in Revelation 13 are the same. You'll see that it comes up among the ten horns. So the beast is a kingdom, just like the horn power. It is diverse, different, just like verse 3 of Revelation 13 says. It speaks blasphemy, both powers, the little horn and the leopard power, both speak blasphemy according to Revelation 13, verse 5. It persecutes, both powers persecute and prosecute God's people. And lastly, both of them rule for 1,260 years. So it's talking about the exact same power the little horn, and the beast of Revelation 13. All right, it's about time for me to wrap this up. So 1798, General Berthier takes the pope captive, and the pope dies in exile at the end of the 1,260 years. And it says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And my friends, and the deadly wound was healed. And that wounding is about to be completely healed in a few. All right, we're coming down to the last few minutes here. Wycliffe. Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Cranmer, in the 17th century, Bunyan, the translators of the King James Bible, 
and the men who published the Westminster and Baptist Confessions of Faith, Sir Isaac Newton, John Wesley, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and more recently Spurgeon, Bishop J.C. Ryle, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, these men among countless others all saw the office of the papacy as the Antichrist. The reformers and their heirs were great scholars and knew the word of God and the Holy Spirit as a living teacher. You find that in All Roads Lead to Rome, page 205, 206. John Wesley's commentary, according to Revelation 13, says, O reader, this is a subject wherein we also are deeply concerned and which must be treated not as a point of curiosity, but as a solemn warning from God. The danger is near. Be armed both against force and fraud, even with the whole armor of God. Out of the sea, that is Europe, the beast is the Roman papacy. This is his commentary. As it came to a point 600 years since, stands now and will for some time longer. So he saw it. He said, I'm in the midst of it. And he knows the time prophecy is not yet up. To this and to no other power of earth agrees the whole text and every part of it in every point. This beast is a spiritually secular power opposite to the kingdom of Christ, a power not merely, not merely spiritual or ecclesiastical, nor merely secular of political, but a mixture of both. And it goes on to talk about making war with the saints. The, Wal the Waldenses, the Albigenses, all these believers in Christ lost their life as they stood for truth during that time frame, my friends. Oh, let's, let's pass that. Now, this is Martin Luther. We're almost done. This is from a book. Everybody knows who Martin Luther is? Okay, I'm going to show you on Thursday why, as a people, as a church, many have walked away from Luther. Let me I'm going to show you what Luther says here. It says, oh, how much pain it has caused me, though I have the scriptures on my side, that I should dare to make a stand alone against the pope and hold him forth as antichrist. T'was so I fought with myself and with Satan, so he's wrestling, right? Till Christ, by his own infallible word, fortified my heart against these doubts. Now listen, I don't, know if, I don't know if you've ever had a struggle in your life where everything around you was just out of control. Even your belief in God was kind of like on the shaky point. You ever had that experience? I mean, I've had it. Even as a preacher, I have it from time to time when it's like, I don't know if I really want to believe anymore. I don't know if I want to keep walking in this thing anymore. And then I pick up my Bible, and I begin to read. I begin to look at prophecy, and I begin to understand. And I'm like, well, I can't deny what is right in my face. I can't deny what God has already done. So Luther is saying, I'm standing up against the, in his mind, this is the only church that he knows. They're not the multiplicity of denominations that exist today. 
Luther is literally standing against the only church that he knows, against the only thing that he sees as the means of salvation. And he's reading his Bible, and it comes clear to his mind one day as he's crawling up the stairs on his knees. The just shall live by faith. No more going to a priest, no more taking himself and beating himself until he felt that, that he had atoned for his sins. No more fasting until he is emaciated. No, Luther fell in love with Jesus. Fell in love with salvation only through Jesus. And it began to point people away from a church of apostasy and a church in rebellion and pointing them to the most high in heaven. Trying to point the church back to the sanctuary of strength. You see, let me tell you something. It is a fallen church. Listen, it is a fallen church that seeks strength from a state power. It is a fallen church that seeks to go to man to legislate righteousness in a nation. A church that is connected with the Most High has power from above, and the law of God is written in the heart of men. In fact, I'll share this last promise, and I'm going to let you go home. It says in Hebrews, go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 8. Or 8 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. Watch what the Bible says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws, where my friends? In their mind and write them in their, in what my friends? In their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a, what's it say? There's that personal relationship again, right? At the end of the day, all God wants is to be one with his children. And at the end of the day, all the devil wants is to make sure you don't have one. Whatever he can do. I'm talking about, we're talking big stage stuff, right? You know, Sunday laws, that's big stage stuff. What about everyday stuff? You turn, your, turn your radio on. You know, every time you turn your radio on, you're practicing. Are you accepting the mark of the beast or are you accepting the seal of God? Every time you make your plate of food, are you giving this as an honor to God in heaven or are you just making this for yourself? Every decision we make on a daily basis is a practice run for the great test that is about to come. Does that make sense, everybody? Now, because tonight was such a sensitive subject, I've asked the pastor to come, pastor, I've asked the pastor to come, and I just want to open the floor for any question that might be. Now, remember, your question must be a question that you really have. Now, if you don't really have a question, don't ask. Some people like to ask questions to teach, so don't ask a question to teach anything. If you have a question that you have for yourself, ask the question, and by God's grace, we will give you an, an answer that God, heaven would be pleased with, okay? So any question about what we covered tonight, 
Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Very good. So, Pastor, you go. You want to go first, sir? Uh, James chapter five, sixteen. You can go there um, all together. And use the microphone because it's being recorded. All right. Right behind so, you. All right. So the question, the question was, and I'm going to do it in a synopsis. Remember when Peter, when Jesus is talking to Peter. And then Jesus says to Peter, um, he says to Peter, I'm trying to say it right. Uh, Basically, it's about sins, right? Um, about, um, correct. Um, so so, so I, I think we all get it. We're, we're going to go over the, the answer and the question. So James chapter 5, 16 it says, my version says, confess your faults to one another and pray uh, and pray uh, for one another and ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Does anybody have another version that reads something else? James chapter 5 verse 16. I'm, I'm trying to find it because there are versions that does say something that is different and that could manipulate it theologically. Yes, sir. All right. Confess your sins. So there is a difference between a fault and a sin. Now, a fault in this particular passage in James chapter 5, it's saying a mistake that I've made against my brother. If I've offended my brother, I have a responsibility to go up to him and say, brother, I, I faulted, I messed up, so I apologize. Now, a sin is transgression against God's holy law. I can, no matter how good he is or how priestly he is, he can't forgive a sin. Now, a fault against him, yeah, he, I mean, he's the only one that could forgive that fault if I've offended him, a, a fault, if I tripped him, or if I punched him in the face, or if I, I don't know, said, said something about his mama or something like that, he, he, he can forgive me. But when it comes to sin, offending God, transgressing God's law, only God can forgive. So there is a difference between confessing faults and confessing sins. Does that make sense? And, let, and let's tighten it a little bit and with that. The vi when I offend you, I can sin against you. Correct. Right? So me sinning against you, that means it's between me and you. So I need to confess my sin that I've done to you. I'm sorry, I did X. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm practicing sin and it has nothing to do with you, mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to confess my sin, Absolutely. private sin, to you. I have a father in heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Because I need to talk to you because I need your forgiveness. Not that you can absolve me of my sin, but I, need, I would like your forgiveness because I, because I offended you. You understand that? Yeah. But the absolving of sin, that comes from the Father alone. Even if you forgive me, you can't absolve me. 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so I just wanted to tighten that just a little bit. All right? Oh, the other question was about Peter. So I wanted to go to Matthew uh, chapter 16 for a moment. Now, in Matthew 16, and uh, it says, we'll start at verse, we'll start at verse 12. It says, then understood they how that he bade them not bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, notice what he asked, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye? that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art, what's it say, my friends? The Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, thou son of Christ, and, sorry, verse, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art, what's it say, my friends? Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And now this passage is used to say, this is Peter is the beginning of the church, the pope, and so forth and so on. Now, the pope is infallible. He cannot make mistakes. If you just read on a few seconds later, if this was the pope, Jesus turns to him and says in verse 23, and he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, what's it say? Satan. So how are you going to one minute, full of the Holy Ghost, next minute, get behind me, Satan? So what it's actually saying is, in the original, it says, Peter's name means small pebble. Petros. Yes, small pebble. And it says, upon this rock, Petros, right? This rock, I will build my church. What is that rock? What did he just say? You are the Christ. So upon that truth, you are the Christ, the church is built on that. The church is not built on a man. Everybody follow that? It's not built on the pebble. It's built on the patros, the truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. All right? Is there another question? Could, could you repeat that for me, please? Um, I can't recall the exact scripture, but okay. it says, whatever things you desire in the name of God, I give you the keys to bind and to loose. Mm -hmm. And he sees the, the gate of heaven. That's in Isaiah. Um, Verse 19 of, okay. Yes, so we kept reading there. So verse 19, and I will give, oh, thee, yes. I will give thee the keys of heaven, kingdom of, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou, ever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a great passage. Here, let's do this. I want to challenge y'all to go home and do some homework and then come back on Thursday. Man, I wanted to answer it, but. It was verse, verse 19. <laughs> Matthew 16, 16 19. verses 19. Yeah, do some homework. Yes. Correct. Excellent question. Good question. Good question. Any other questions? 
right on that thing? If you, we could, there's one talk about staining, retaining sin, and, and forgiving sin. Can you hear on that? Um, retaining sin. Um, John 20, 23. It says retain. Great. This is going to be a great study, you guys. Amen. Can't wait till you come back with your answers. John 20, 23, yes. 2023. All right, any other questions? Somebody should be asking me a question like, oh, go ahead. Okay. So the so I should that's that's horrible. How can I finish the talk and you So the mark they claim themselves that the mark the mark of our authority is Sunday worship. Cuz we cuz we claim to change the day from one to the next. That's the mark of our authority. Yeah. So the beast it, the beast power is the Roman Catholic Church. And the mark of the beast is we're the beast and this is our sign or seal of authority. Correct. Okay? It's a sign of our authority. And they say it themselves. All right? So we so we so so what we do, we're looking at the passage, we know that the passage highlights that the last test will be on the issue of worship. If you worship the beast or his image or receive his mark, that's the test. All right? Or you or worship his image. That's the test. Does that make sense? Correct. Correct. That's exactly right. So you follow what God says, of course, you're walking in the light. If you disobey what God says, you receive the mark of man. It's, a, it's man's idea, right? Our own thinking, right? That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And we all agree that none of us can work our way to heaven, so God must do, put his commandments in our hearts. Does that make sense? So I, I, have, a, I have a quick challenge. Um, I, I've looked through Genesis and Revelation, and I'm trying to find another way, proper way, to properly demonstrate uh, love for God besides obedience. The only way that I'm aware of in the scriptures, the only way to properly show and demonstrate love for God is obedience. You could give God a million dollars, it won't mean nothing. You could pray a hundred billion times a day. It won't mean nothing if there's no obedience behind it. And I, I've looked, and I'll, I'll challenge you, besides obedience, so if God says, if you love me, keep my commandments, mm -hmm. if you don't love me, don't keep my commandments. It's the same thing. So, yes, ma'am. Yes. So on that Love your love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself hangs all the law and the Absolutely. prophets. Absolutely. So those things are demonstrated. So he tells you how to love, right? It's instructed. Don't kill. Don't steal. Mm -hmm. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Don't those, lie to those, each other. Those are all Absolutely. explanations of how to love your neighbor. And then love God with all your heart. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't have any idols before me. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. So all the law hangs on those two. Mm -hmm. Love God, love your neighbor. Amen. Okay? 
Yes. So I'm going to answer a question that has not been asked. If someone goes to church right now on Sunday, <laughs> do they have the mark of the beast? The answer is no. Because what happens, what's happening is there has to be a law that is passed. And there's force involved in the keeping of that day. And if you violate at that point, you receive the mark. But let me tell you something. You can't all of a sudden that day wake up and say, I'm going to obey God. <laughs> you must practice now. Amen. You understand the idea? You must practice now. Character must be developed. The Sabbath is only an outward symbol of an inward rest. Amen. Okay? So that's something that we do on a daily basis. So I can't wake up sun that time and say, oh, Sunday lost pass. Now I'm going to start keeping Sabbath. No. Now is the time. Now's the time to begin to apply those things. Amen. All right. Can you see how that affects the Jews? Oh, yeah. It's like they steal one of the women. Yeah. Like another <laughs> well, right. I, I'm going to show you something on, on, uh, on Thursday where the Jewish state is actually agreeing with the Sunday law. Oh, yeah. I want to show you where the state itself is agreeing with that law. Yes. Well, it depends. Prior knowledge, if you have prior knowledge, then it's go you, you can't violate. Oh, I'll put it like this. I'm gonna read this. Let me just read this to you. you you'll see it yourself. I'm not going to say anything. You tell me the answer. So in Revelation chapter 14, in verse, I want to say, look at verse 3. I mean, verse 9. Look at 9 and 10. It says, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. So it's, in other words, the warning comes before. Knowledge is apparent. God never executes judgment before he gives the warning. Does that make sense? So if... The warning comes before, and you are aware, and then you choose, that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no turning back at that point. You can't choose to go back. I mean, you won't, you won't be able to. And when I say you can't, it's not like God in heaven says they can't go back. <laughs> what happens is, because of our character, the more that we, once we make that decision, it's almost like we seal our decision. At that point, the test comes, we make it, poof. And I thought, you can't turn back. Your mind is made up. Your mind is made up. So while there is time, make the right choice. Yes. I'm sorry, I have to follow up on your mark of the beast. So yes. Yes. Okay. And the reason why I say that, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, do you remember the Jews? The Jews had these little boxes. And they would tie it and they put it on their forehead, and they would have one on their hand. You'll you'll see you'll see some when you go to the Jewish door. They have these little little things in the doorway, right? And those things that they had in their boxes and in their hand was actually the law of God. So spiritually, it's different, right? So spiritually, the law of God is written in the heart and the mind. If you receive the mark in your hand, that means you're working to help pass that law, right? It doesn't mean that you agree with it. 
You can literally just work to make it happen. But those who have the mark in their forehead means in their intelligence, that's in their frontal lobe. That means you've made a decision, intentionally, willfully. So there are gonna be people that literally just in their hand. They worked, they don't believe it, but they're, they're corrupt anyway, and that's what they're doing. But in their forehead, they chose, they know, and they're, they're locked in. You could jot down Ecclesiastes chapter nine and 10, chapter nine, verse 10, and Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10, to corroborate what the preacher was talking about. I'm sorry, what was the first one? Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse 10, and Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10. Decision and work, decision and action. Mm -hmm. All right, any other questions? Yes. They're, they do have a, you know, they have an imp product. Yeah, they have their own thing. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to be marking us with a still. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Any other questions, my friend? I, I'm just a little confused. Yes. Are you saying that if they work, they take Sundays off, then they get the mark of the beast? I mean, the, the following week? Okay, so here, here's what I'm saying. Sorry, yeah, so here, here, here's what I'm saying. At some point in the near future, as I'm sharing with you on the screen, there's an intent to pass a law to keep Sundays holy, okay? At the same time, we can see that that's what they're doing. What they're going to do, as what they did in the past, they're going to make it illegal for you to go to church on Saturday. You're going to become an outlaw. <coughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So initially, it's coming across as a very, the way the law moves, it's going to be everybody gets Sunday off. But if you go work for anybody, you can't get two days off in a row like that. So if they give everybody one day off and then you want to get another day off, they're going to be like, Psh, who are you? And mind you, people like me, they're going to throw me in jail. <laughs> I talk too much. Huh? I open my mouth. And I'm going to tell them, hey, you guys, this is not what God says. You're trying to establish something God didn't say to do. Throw him in jail. So it becomes persecutory in nature. So I don't care. They give me an extra day off. I'm fine. On that day, I'm going to go win some more souls. Amen? Yes. Let's go knock on some doors. Let's have another meeting. So there's nothing wrong with coming to church on Sunday. Like I said, nothing wrong with that. However, once the law is passed, it becomes problematic. And if you don't keep the Sabbath now, you're already preparing yourself to accept the mark then. You can't, it's almost like, you're like, oh, when they pass the law, then I'll start keeping the seventh day. No. You need to practice now. Yeah. It, because at the end of the day, let me just back up, because I don't want you to, to get stuck on the outward thing. The outward sign of loyalty is evidence of an inward submission to the spirit. Amen. Not to men's ideas or opinions. That's why I want you to, I want you to stay with, like in that space. Because if you were to ask... I, I mean, you're going to ask your pastor. Please ask your pastor. Pastor, why do we go to church on Sunday? They're going to tell you a couple of things. The law is nailed to the cross. Now, with that logic, first off, if the law is nailed to the cross, then I get to cheat, steal, lie, commit adultery, bear false witness. So if the law is not nailed to the cross, 
Which one are they deciding is nailed to the cross? The fourth commandment? Is that the one they nailed to the cross? So you're going to take all the other, just going to nail one. But James says, if you break one law, then you're guilty of oh. all of them. So that, that logic is broken, the laws of the cross. Okay, the, the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead. Then the question would be, okay, I understand what you're saying about that. However, did Jesus give a command to keep the first day of the week? Was there any proclamation from heaven and thunders and clouds with angels to make this change when the law of God sits as the foundation of the kingdom of God? The answer would be no. The answer is no. So then what was nailed to the cross? Ceremonial laws. Mm -hmm. Laws that have to do with the blood. That's nailed to the cross. But the seventh day Sabbath, the day that God has set aside where man is to have fellowship with him as a sign of loyalty to the creator, not nailed to the cross. It's still, it's still there. In fact, in heaven, it says that we're going to be keeping the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. The apostles kept the Sabbath, right? Yes. Right. So watch this. I have, a, I have an article showing that even those Muslims who are taking Friday as a holy day, agree with Sunday worship. Mm. And in fact, let me tell you something else. At some point, the reason why everybody does it, it's going to be because of the mighty dollar. Mm -hmm. Everybody coalesces to the dollar. Okay? In addition, and I say this in a, in a very, and, and, and on Friday night, I'm going to deal with it. The heathen deities are all going to show up soon. Buddha's going to show up. Mm -hmm. Satan's going to show up. The, the, the Fatima stuff, all that, all those apparitions are all going to coalesce and start leading people in this direction. Right. Remember what Revelation says. Now I'm going to turn there real quick. It says in Revelation chapter 14, uh, in verse, um, I want to say... No, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 14. Or start at 13 and go to 14. Verse 13 says, And he doeth great wonder, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. There's going to be supernatural happenings that are going to make people go, go and bow down to the image of the beast. I'm going to show you on either Thursday or Friday the several supernatural things that are transpiring that are coalescing everyone together. It's happening. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. So this, I'm, I'm, so, I'm glad you're asking the questions. That's why I opened the floor for the questions. So at some point. I'm going to have a seat. You gonna have a seat? <laughs> Maybe I should let you answer it. Go no, ahead. you good. You good. <laughs> so, so at some point, because when this law is passed, in fact, there was a I have a I have a um a a, a newspaper article, and it says Pope declared wants a God-centered economy. Okay, I have another video. If you were here once two Sabbaths ago, in the morning, I showed you a video, 
And in the video was, uh, I think it was Lord Monton. I can't remember exactly his name. He's up there talking about Foundation X. And as he's talking about Foundation X, he's trying to keep it a secret. And all of a sudden he says, and the Vatican. And it, when he was talking about it, he was talking about the amount of gold collected in the history of the world. That this bank has more money and collected in the history of the world than any other bank in the world. And then he, it slips out of his mouth and he says, the Vatican. And then they pound the gavel. Your time is up. I showed that to you, right? So what's happening is that if, remember, the beast power works by force. The, God never works by force. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you a true story. Any preacher that stands up in front of you and tries to convince you to go to heaven to avoid hellfire is not a good preacher. That's not love. My motivation, your motivation, what God desires us to be is motivated by his sacrifice, by his love that he's demonstrated for us. That's my motivation. I remember people be like, hey, you're going to go to hell if you do that. I'm like, look, man, if God made me and he wants to burn me, that's on him. That's on him. You're not going to scare me to be obedient. What I want and what he wants is a love relationship. And that's what that Sabbath is about. It's, that, that, it's about that fellowship. It's about that communion. It's about that love relationship. Can you imagine I go home tonight and I walk in like, woman, where's my food? <laughs> I mean, people do that, though. People live in a house like that with some people, right? Woman, where's my food? You know, that relationship's not going to last. My wife's from the hood. She'll cut me. <laughs> huh? So God, God is not interested in that type of relationship, all right? So he's going to use force. He's going to use force. How that's implemented, in other words, whether he uses a chip or whether he uses your credit cards or whether he controls your bank account, I don't know how it's going to be done. But all the wealth in the world is being centralized right now, okay? So they literally can cut off a country by pushing a button. When they say economic sanctions, do you guys know what they're saying? They can economic sanction you in a minute. They're like, bank account, do do do, do done. Have you, have you ever, this happened to me before. I've gone to my bank account, and I can't get in. I'm like, why can't I get into my account? Well, sir, there was a question. What do you mean there's a question? I didn't have any questions. Why, what is there, what's the question about? Well, we're not sure if we want to release you. What do you mean? I put the money in there. I should be able to get my money. They, can con they control my money. So I don't like putting my money in the bank. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me some secret place to hide my coins. <laughs> so right now, yeah. I'll speak for myself. It's been a long time since I touched cash. Um, just today, I went to the supermarket to buy some oranges and I forgot my wallet at home. But I'm like, but I keep some petty cash for um, you know, homeless people in the car. So I went in the car and I held the cash in my hand and I was like, this feels weird. It's been a long time since I actually held cash because I get a check, the check goes to my account, I don't see it. I pay my car note online. I pay my cell phone on my phone. Um, there's money transaction that I don't hold. So as the preacher was talking, I was thinking, my Lord, like I have money, 
but I don't have it. So it seems very easy for a power to come and to manipulate finances and manipulate mm -hmm. how we buy, manipulate how we sell. We're going through it right now. We, you know, we, we like technology, but for my employer to say, here's your paycheck, and I don't see it, I don't see the cash, I don't see the gold that backs the cash, is normal now. Mm -hmm. So we're slowly being desensitized, and we're all a part of it. So. Yep. All right. Oh, I lost it now. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I'll keep quiet. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It, it, you know, it, gold is going to, the Bible says in James 5, gold will, your gold will be cankered. Mm -hmm. And they're going to throw the, the money in the streets. Yeah. So there's, that's what James 5 says. So there's a point in which the economic stability will no longer be there. Exactly. Well, that's a. There's actually <laughs> something that we're supposed to be doing in preparation for this crisis. He, he will, but he gives us instruction, biblical instruction. Now, my friends, it is. Oh, we got another hand. Yes. 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 Just true, but watch what I'm going to share. If they use force, will they go? <laughs> if you mess with somebody's money, will they go? You mess with their bread in the kitchen, will they go? Yes, they will. And in addition to that, that's why we say the church is an apostasy when it has to go to the state to make you righteous. So now it's an outward conformity mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. religious normality without the heart conversion. And when I, on Thursday when you come, I'm going to share with you how that's being done and how, the, how that, you'll see it. I want to show you very clearly. All right, my friends, we must be tempered in all things. Some of you must work tomorrow. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to pray and close. How many understood what we talked about? Can I just see your hand? You understood? All right. You saw. Praise God. And what I'm going to encourage you to do tonight, make a decision in your heart. Resolve in your heart to be faithful to God. Amen. Whether they, so some of us are afraid of a mark of the beast. I'm not afraid of the mark of the beast. I'm not telling you this so you can be afraid. I want you to be aware. Amen. So you can make an intelligent decision, an intelligent choice. How many are willing to obey what God says? Let me just see your hand. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, the time has been rich and deep. You must really love this group. To carve out this time to share this most important and solemn message. 
Father, please enlighten our understanding. I know that there was much covered. And I pray, Lord, that the enemy does not swoop in and bite away the seed, take away the conviction. But I pray, Father, that each heart and mind digs deeper until they cannot be moved. Not just intellectually, Father, but spiritually as well. Where the devil will not have a foothold in their experience. Father, we love you. And we do ask that you teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his blood. Amen.